Dr. Brian Dimitrovic, it is great to have you on the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Hi, Kim. It's really great to be here this morning. So I'm just I'm just dying to talk to you about the economy. What uh, what is going on out there? Yeah, I mean the American economy is supposed to grow all the time at great rates. There's supposed to be mass prosperity. There's supposed to be opportunity everywhere. We're supposed to be the land of the American dream. That's the normal. So if it's anything less than the normal, that's because government messed something up. So I expect this economy to continue to do pretty well because the the government is essentially retreating from economic policy. Okay, but it seems with the Democrat House, though, uh, it I mean, isn't this challenging it a little bit? Um, because you know Trump has done some amazing things or in the last two years as far as lowering tax rates, trying to uh, reduce rules and regulations. But it seems that with this Democrat uh, Congress, that they're trying to put the skids on this economic growth and, and prosperity. Well, Tim, I totally agree with you. Uh, I believe, and there are others like Richard Ryan who have made this point, uh, that the excessive leftism that's been displayed by the new Democrats in Congress, especially the new presidential candidates, is meant in part to spook the investment environment and to spook the stock market. Because if the sentiment gets out there, hey, these people might win, then, of course, the stock market will go down, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Donald Trump and the Republicans will have a more difficult time being reelected in an environment where the stock market has gone down. So I think there's a method to their madness. Okay. I, I don't know if you heard Jason McBride on right before uh, you, you came on, but he's with Presidential Wealth Management, one of my, my great partners. And uh, he said that yesterday the Federal Reserve, uh, I guess they um, let, let everybody know about the, the minutes of their last meeting. And uh, they said that they're not going to be as aggressive as far as raising interest rates right now. But right before the election, it seemed like it was boom, 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 uh, raising interest rates, which, which I submit to you that I think interest rates were um, artificially low. But it seemed a little political to me. Is that possible? Of course it's possible, Kim, absolutely. The Federal Reserve is a creature of its own nature. The Federal Reserve still, in 2019, is embarrassed by what happened in the 1970s. The 1970s are as an important contributor to the mentality of the Federal Reserve today than just about anything else. In other words, the Federal Reserve is still apologizing for the tremendous inflation we had back then 40 years ago. It is, of course, we wonder why we're still worried about the 1970s, but that is. Well, that was my question. And, you know, I neglected to mention your two great books. One is JFK and the Reagan Revolution. What is it? The Secret to American Prosperity, I think. I'm doing doing that from memory. And then Econoclast, which that is like the the handbook uh, for supply-side economics. So highly recommend both of those books. But explain to our listeners about the 1970s, what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the 70s were absolutely uh, horrible, really the second worst decade in uh, American economic history after the 1930s. There was uh, upwards of 10 to 15 percent inflation every year. There were recessions while there was double-digit inflation, which is something much worse than we had in 2008. The stock market lost 75 percent in real terms from 1966 to 1982. We call it and that's what the Reagan Revolution vanquished. I mean, four presidents couldn't do anything about it. 
and then Reagan ended it for good. Well, I remember, I'm dating, my, but I remember money markets were paying, oh gosh, I, I, double digits for sure. I want to say 13, 14%. And I guess if you're, you're on fixed income, you're going, wow, that's, a, that's pretty cool, except inflation was eating all that up. Yeah, I mean, the U.S., the 30-year long bond, treasury bond in 1980 was paying 15%. I mean, yeah, if you lock that rate in in 1980, that's terrific. But the inflation rate that year, in the first part of that year, was 20%. So these were wasting assets. Uh, yeah, m- money market funds were just try- try- desperately trying to chase after return. It was simply a horrible environment, and the Federal Reserve was so embarrassed by presiding over a hyperinflation for 10 years that they resolved never again, and it's still at the very forefront of the Federal Reserve's consciousness today, irrelevant as it is in 2019. Well, that is fascinating. Uh, let's let's move over a couple of things I'd like to make sure that we hit, and one of those is uh, what you see for 2019. Uh, I mean, I think that before the Democrat Congress was elected. We were looking at, I mean, we, I think we could almost see 4 or 5% GDP growth out there in the horizon. But now it looks like that's pulled back a little bit. I think what, we're about at 3%. But what do you see for the future? Well, the 3% year in 2019, which will be made official pretty soon for 2018, is really great. I mean, that's the first time since, what, 2006 or a long time ago we've had 3%, which used to be the bottom of the American norm. Um, obviously, in Q1, growth is going to be down because of the government shut down. That's a good thing. And then they'll go right back up in quarter two. I think that corporate rate cut and deregulation is still having its effect. And we sh- there really should be no reason we don't have 3 to 4% growth in 2019 because of those two big governmental retreats under Trump in 2017 and 18. Okay. So next question, well, let's, we're going to go to break here in just a little bit, but before we do that, uh, would you once again give our listeners the five pillars uh, that you say needs, needs to occur for, you know, a great economy? Yes, right. Arthur Laffer called them the five pillars of Reaganomics. There should be low taxes, low, low tax rates. There should be low spending. There should be regulatory restraints. Free trade and sound money. You have those five things, you're going to have a, a splendid economy for forever. Okay, and you know what we have? I think we have time to bite this one off then. I was at one of the Tapas and Topics women's groups that um, that is an offshoot of something that I'd started. And one of the women had been at a meeting she um, where an economist had presented. And he was an economist that was not real optimistic about the economy. And he felt that uh, what Trump was doing regarding trade with China and tariffs was going to be a really big problem. What, how would you respond? Well, Kim, I am very concerned about trade barriers. I mean, we have to get to a world where there's a free flow of goods and services and labor and investment. That's very important. Now, if that means... Uh, a little tough talk right now so that we get there. That's great. But if we should be concerned if the tough talk becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy and then we just have trade barriers because commerce is essential to economic growth. So if there can be progress on the trade front towards the free flow of goods and services and investments, there will be great growth. Well, in the book that you had written, JFK and the Reagan Revolution, you wrote that with Larry Kudlow, who is one of the economic advisors 
to President Trump, which I, I take great heart in that. Uh, what what do you think? Do you think this tough talk is gonna is gonna work? Yeah, I mean, China has a kind of strange uh, communist malice model where they want to steal from the West and then use it against them, and that never works. So I know Larry is there in the West Wing of the White House saying we need to get to the point where we can clear out this Chinese espionage in favor of the free flows of goods and services and investment. That's what Larry's doing all the time. And with every passing headline in the financial press, we seem to get closer and closer to that goal. So these pessimistic economists better watch out. If a free trade deal does arise with China, well, of course, I mean, the gate's open for big-time economic growth. Well, and I recall when we first were talking, you, you and I, regarding the um, the Trump tariffs on China, you said that one of the things that was really brilliant about Trump, or, or I'm paraphrasing, you, hopefully I heard it correctly, is the fact that he's actually gotten these countries to acknowledge that they have been charging significant tariffs on our products going into their countries. Kim, I remember that conversation. I I do give him great credit for that. It was He did that in Canada. He said, we've been talking, we've been congratulating ourselves for being free traders for the last 50 years while we have set up trade barriers, particularly the European Union, Canada, places like that. And he called them on their rhetoric. He said, well, if we want to be free traders, let's be free traders. And it, again, if there can be progress on that front, getting down European, British, Canadian, Mexican trade barriers, then that's only going to be very positive for world and American economic growth. Okay, well, this is good news. We're going to go to break here in just a moment, Brian. The next question is, uh, and there was actually a headline that I saw early this morning that, um, let me get to it. Oh, well, here we go. It says Republicans... No, no, that's not. Uh, basically, then it is uh, that Republicans are not saying anything about trade deficits or our massive debt. The debt apparently is at about twenty-two trillion dollars, and I was whacking about the debt uh, as it was growing under Obama, and it it truly did grow exponentially under Obama, but it is still growing under Trump. And so, I'd like you to to let us know what you think about that. We're going go to go to break when we come back. We are talking with Dr. Brian Dimitrovic with uh, the uh, Laffer Center for Supply Side Economics. And uh, we'll uh, get your answer on that question, Brian. We'll be right back. Well, most definitely, we're taking care of business right here in the great United States of America. And uh, to let us know about that is Dr. Brian Dimitrovic. He is with the Laffer Center for Supply Side Economics. He is the author of Econoclast, which is really the the textbook for supply-side economics, as well as JFK and the Reagan Revolution, A Secret History of American Prosperity. Uh, Brian Dimitrovic, I always learn so much when you're on with us, so thank you uh, for, for joining me this morning. Let's jump in here, Brian, and that is the national debt. One of the pillars of uh, the five pillars of um, Arthur Laffer's uh, Reagan uh, economics is uh, to have sound money and to lower our spending. How are we doing on that? Well, we're not doing great on lowering spending. I mean, the budget, the federal budget, is careening towards five trillion dollars a year. It's, it's, it's four, over four trillion right now. Under and two thousand five is a two trillion. So uh, we're not doing anything in terms of controlling spending. I mean, Donald Trump was talking about a five percent cut in all agency spending past summer. If that came through, that would be historic at this point, because 
It it seems like everybody could tighten their belt, though, at least 5%. I mean, it seems like we should be able to do that. Kim, the funny thing is we keep hearing these statistics about how the labor market's tight, how it's difficult to hire workers. There aren't enough people out there to hire. That's why it's it's such a beautiful environment for cutting spending, because we can release all those government workers into the private sectors. It's a perfect opportunity to cut spending. Okay, and you've been talking about it, but with this Democrat Congress, that's probably not going to be possible, is it? Well, no, the, the Democrats are very interested in government spending. And again, I think the Democratic Congress now has questionable motives. They really want to see the American economy grow below 3%. They'd like to see unemployment tick up. Um, so I, I, I don't trust them, but I do I do appreciate gridlock and its, its possibilities in giving the market confidence. Okay. Uh, what about taxes? Do you see another possible tax cut coming down the pike at all? Well, I do think that we're starting to realize that the personal side of the tax cut last year wasn't as substantial as it could have been. I mean, the top rate only went down by two points. The corporate rate cut was phenomenal. I mean, that rate went down by 14 points, 35 to 21. So if somehow... uh, a bit of supply-side fire got hold of Congress. If they cut personal tax rates again, I I see no reason we wouldn't have a repeat of the 1980s and 1990s economy right here in the 21st century. But if that happens, Brian Dimitrovic, where the American people would be thriving and prospering like that, uh, I've been talking to a young millennial, and I know that you're a professor, so you're, you're talking to millennials all the time. But he was using this word intersectionality, which I heard yeah. the first time I heard it, it, it. It's a new word. It's relatively a new word. And that yeah. is, is, is my understanding, Brian, is where the far left activists have, have taken, um, I think, uh, different groups that they, they think are being discriminated against and trying to bring them together to affect public policy. Am I close on that definition? I'm afraid in academia I hear that word all the time, and I I don't have the patience, I guess, to bother with the definition. I mean, it's academic jargon. Um, There's apparently some kind of leftist justification for government spending that it it helps this unfavored minorities. Let me tell you what, I have the opposite view. I I think, um, and this goes back to Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, I I think one of the points of government spending is to discredit its recipients, is to humiliate the people who get government benefits. So, I mean, no, I I, I don't give government spending any credit at all. I I, I think it's meant to to make the people who receive it have dirty hands. Okay, but but we have seen... When you say that, we've actually seen, though, a situation like when you go into the grocery store and it says method of payment, you've got your credit card and all that. You can also use your government card, your food stamp card now, because and the argument was is that it was demeaning to have to pull out your food stamps when you were at the grocery store. So now you have a debit card, if you will. So you're saying that the government, in, in effect is demeaning people, but yet they said that they were trying to uh, not embarrass them. How, how would you answer that? Well, yeah, I, um, I, I believe that the government understands that the, the greatest threat to its own existence and its own flourishing is a successful market economy. If there is an independently successful economy, what need have we of government? So government has a narrow self-interest in seeing to it 
that the economy does not succeed. And through government benefits and food stamps, even if there were debit cards, um, there is a dependency that is incurred within a market population that discredits the market economy, and that works to government benefit. Now, I, I don't really give government any credit. I, I think uh, government benefits is a contradiction in terms. So, Brian, can you address the cliff, though? There is kind of a cliff where somebody is, is, has all these different, you know, it might be child assistance. And, and under, the, under the great society of Lyndon Johnson, I think what he basically said to, to women is, is we will take care of you and your children as long as there's not a man in the house. And I think it's been a very detrimental both to women and men because then men did not have to be responsible for their actions, you know, regarding children and all. So I, I think that that's done something to kind of the, the heart and soul of us. I think we can get it back. But there's this cliff that uh, a woman might get to a point if she got a raise that she would lose a lot of this assistance. What would you say to that woman? Yeah, those fiscal cliffs um, were a signature of the Obama presidency in particular. He really ramped them up with all his great recession legislation. It got to the point where people like single women with children who were earning $30,000 a year, literally had to up their income to 70000 more than double it, to get any increase in income at all after they lost government benefits. So you were in a weird position of being able to double your nominal income and actually see your take-home income go down. That was a fiscal cliff, and that was all built into the welfare system that we enhanced after the Great Recession. Is Trump fixing that at all? Yeah, he did. He did do a lot to address that, including in the tax reform, and that is an unsung aspect of the Tax Act of 2017. Okay, well, that that is good to know, because I really think that there is dignity in <clears throat> paying your own bills, and instead of knowing that you're dependent on someone else. Now, out, out here in Colorado, I know that you spent time in Colorado uh, because you were the uh, uh, visiting professor at CU of Conservative Thought and Policy. Uh, we've got just maybe about three or four minutes, Brian, watching Colorado from afar, what is your comment about us? Well, I think I've mentioned to you before, uh, Kim, that uh, Jared Paulus is an old intern of Arthur Laffer's, and he remains a very great friend and correspondent with that father's supply-side economics. So there is that empirical connection, which I think should not be forgotten and even discounted. Um, Colorado is a great entrepreneurial state. It is a it is a destination state. It is embodying again those old characteristics of the American dream that turned in the twentieth century that we really should resurrect in the twenty first. So I mean, Colorado has it all right there. If they just keep those five pillars of economics in mind, they're going to be a, a shiny city on a hill. Okay, we're having a time, though, down at the State House, uh, our, both our Senate and our House uh, really went very, very kind of far-left progressive activists. And some of the legislation that they are passing right now is, is kind of astounding, Brian. Uh, so that's going to get to Jared Polis's desk. And the fact that he is good friends with Arthur Laffer, I, I take some heart in that. But, but sometimes he doesn't talk like he's a good friend of Arthur Laffer's. Yeah, I mean, if Colorado wants to go the California route, I mean, a lot of immigrants in California and in Colorado and have all sorts of uh, um, just bragging legislation about how, how liberal it is, um, yeah, it's, 
it's not going to succeed as it should, and that would be a tremendous missed opportunity. So Colorado uh, has the opportunity, again, to lead the nation in showing us, like Texas, how to do mass prosperity in this new millennium of ours. And if it fumbles that opportunity, um, I, I think people should be angry. Okay, great. We have just a couple of minutes. Going back to the word intersectionality, I did not finish my thought, and that is, is this young millennial that I was talking about said that if the economy continues to really thrive, that it is going to blow through this whole argument of intersectionality and that Trump is going to win big in 2020. Uh, what do you hear on the campus, on college campuses, regarding that possibility? Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. I mean, so, so prosperity and employment and opportunity just resolves all issues, all these kind of arguments about we're oppressed and we don't have any opportunity. Well, when there's tons of opportunity, that argument doesn't really make any sense. So I like that point. This whole intersectionality craze is a function of the lingering Great Recession. Interesting. Okay, now where can people find you, Dr. Brian Dimitrich? They can find me on my Forbes site at Forbes.com slash Brian Dimitrovic. Okay, great. And the two books, it is uh, Reagan, or, <clears throat> excuse me, JFK and the Reagan Revolution, The Secret History of American Prosperity, and then Econoclass. I uh, highly recommend that everybody read both of those books. So, Dr. Brian Dimitrovic, thank you so much. I love our conversations.